Father, we are lovers of Your Word and we want to be blessed by You. So we, we treasure Your Word and we follow Your Word to the best of our ability through the power of Your Spirit. And we pray You'd help us to be able to do that more even as we look into Your Word tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Psalm number 18. Psalm 18. We have been going through several psalms in a row consecutively. Uh, we're going to be skipping around here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, we're, we're generally keeping uh, in order. We're not going back any. But in this series of studies on the psalm, on the psalms on Wednesday nights, um, what I'm trying to do is give you a sampling of the different types of psalms. And I try to start out by telling you what kind of psalm it is. Just so that you have an idea, you need to recognize that as you're reading the Psalms, you're going to have to read them differently based on the type of Psalm. And you can usually tell what type of Psalm it is right away. So there are uh, Thanksgiving Psalms. There are Praise Psalms. There are Lament Psalms. There are are Wisdom Psalms, like Psalm 90. Uh, So there are all sorts of different Psalms. There are Kingship-type Psalms, like Psalm number 2. So you're going to have different types of psalms. And so what I've done is I've taken a selection based on the number of psalms that we're going through and tried to tried to give an equal number of the types of psalms in each study that we're going to do in the psalms. So this one is a Thanksgiving psalm or it could be a kingship psalm. And the reason that, that we know that is because it's written by a king, as you see in the superscription, King David, and it's David giving thanks. So we could call it a, a Thanksgiving royal psalm or a royal Thanksgiving psalm. And the purpose is for David to give thanks to God for His goodness and for His deliverance and, and for His protection, particularly, particularly throughout his entire life. Now, he's going to talk uh, in the superscription. It seems to indicate that he's thankful to God for how God had delivered him from the hands of the enemies. But, but as you go through the psalms, this psalm, it, you see that it, it's talking more than just about his fleeing from Saul, but, but real, really it's talking about many of the, the, um, the deliverances that he received from God. And this psalm, if you look in the margin of your Bible under verse 1, you see that it comes from Psalm 22, 1 through 51. What that means is if you were to go back to that psalm, you would see this psalm almost identical with what you see in Psalm 22. And what's happening in Psalm 22 is David is coming to the end of his life. He's been chased by Saul. He's been chased by his own son, Absalom. He's, been try- he, he's, he's had people try to remove him from the throne. He comes to the end of all of those troubles and really deliverances from God. And he turns back and looks back on what God has done and he gives thanks to God. That's what he's doing here. So this is almost identical to what he's doing there. The only difference is that he modifies it here for more of a corporate setting. So there it was more individual praise. Here's what I see. You'll see some of that individual praise. But he modifies it because this is meant to be sung among people, uh, among a, a larger group of people. And David's response to what God has done is one of amazement and thanksgiving and praise. So this is a psalm written by a king to the divine, eternal king, but it's also generic enough for us to praise God, for, for us to use this psalm 
and praise Him for the protection and deliverance that He gives to us. So this is a longer psalm, so I'm not going to read the whole thing in all at once. Uh, we'll go through it as we study it, but, but let's uh, just read the first 19 verses. Psalm number 18. This is the Word of God. I love You, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of His temple and my cry for help before Him came into His ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. And the foundation of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils and fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He he rode upon a cherub and flew and he sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him. Darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before Him passed His thick clouds, hailstones, and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and scattered them, and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. Then the channels of water appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At Your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Your nostrils, He sent from on high, He took me, He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. David begins this psalm with a praise to God. He begins by saying, I love you, O Lord. And then he talks about how great the Lord is in verse 2. In the middle of the psalm, he does something very similar. He, he praises God for who He is and what He has done. And then at the end of the psalm, which we'll get to in verses 46 through 50, he does it again. He praises God. So basically what you have is at the beginning, middle, and end, David is praising God or giving thanks to God for His deliverance and His protection. So... Uh, in, in between those two, he's going to explain why he's giving praise to God. So that's that's how the psalm goes. We'll start with the opening praise to God, His refuge, verses 1 through 3. Or we could say it this way, opening praise to the Lord, our refuge, because really this psalm is for us as well. Opening praise to the Lord, our refuge, verses 1 to 3. David here is reflecting, again, remember in the superscription of the psalm, he's reflecting on the deliverance and protection of God. And he he sees God as the one who's provided refuge for him. And as he thinks about that, it wells up in him uh, thoughts of of gratefulness, of, notice verse 1, love for God. And he wants to express that to him. And so he says it to God directly. I love you, O Lord, my strength. And then notice the piling up of terms, how he describes God. I love you, O Lord, my strength, my rock, 
my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, my refuge in whom I take refuge, my shield, my horn, my salvation, my stronghold. All of these have to do with safety and protection. He just thinks of multiple ways that he can describe God as his rescue, his deliverance, his his protection and comfort. And then in verse 3, he calls out the God to deliver his people. So he knows God is one to deliver. He knows God is a sure foundation, a sure protection in verse 2. And so the result of that is, see that connection? I call upon the Lord. So the Lord is, verse 2. So what do I do, verse 3? I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. You see, his past deliverance results in his present praise and his present prayer to God. David is grateful to God for His deliverance. Notice, I called upon the Lord and then who is worthy to be praised. So he sees this as an opportunity to praise God and also to call on God um, for, for future deliverance. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Verse 3. So how did God save David from his enemies? What was it that God did? We know that God is a stronghold. He is a, a fortress, a rock. But what did God do specifically for David that, that David would well up with praise and thanksgiving to God? Well, the answer is in verses 4-6. through six. And that is that the Lord has worked for us. Verses 4-19. through 19, The Lord has worked for us. The first part of this, verses 4-6, through six, He was delivered from the brink of death. Notice, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Notice how David describes his desperate situation in verses 4 and 5. He was effectively on the brink of death. You see that when he uses the words death and torrents. We'll talk about what that is here in just a second. And then the cords of Sheol, that's talking about the place of the dead, and then the snares of death. So he just keeps saying death, death, Sheol, death. He's saying, I'm on the brink of death. And if you think about the picture that he's drawing here in verses 4 and 5, he's saying, the cords of death, metaphorically, are wrapped around me. And, and as I'm tied up, okay, you just picture him tied to a rock or some kind of a post or something, and now what happens? Here comes the torrents. The waves come crashing in. What are you supposed to do when you're all tied up? You can't get out. And now the waves are coming in. There's nothing David could do to save himself. In other words, for him, he was in a desperate situation. Violent death was imminent for David. And what did he do? Verse 6, In my distress, in my desperation, I called upon the Lord and cried to God for help. He heard my voice out of His temple, and my cry for help before Him came into my ears. When David was in a place of desperation, he did the only thing that he could do to be delivered and that was for God to call out to God for help and God graciously heard his voice so David is praising God in verses 1-3 through because God has delivered him here from the brink of death and, and then David goes on in verses 7-15 to to describe the spectacular nature of God's deliverance remember this covers not just one event in David's life where he was 
fleeing from Saul, but, but probably more likely a, a number of events or maybe the whole course of his life as he looks back on it. And so as he thinks back to the wide range of events and troubles that he has been in, he, he thinks of God and, and how He responds. And here, he wants to show that God is, has amazing power. And so, he pictures God in verses 7 and 8 as full of wrath or as wrath-filled. The earth shook and quaked and the foundations of the mountains were trembling. So, as David called out in desperation, God responded in power. And all these powerful images come to our minds. And then verse 8, it it goes on. This wrath-filled God, that is, wrath-filled at David's enemies, right? This wrath-filled God in verse 8 is pictured as what? What is He pictured as in verse 8? What do you think that is? A what? A dragon. He's got fire coming from His nostrils. Fire from His mouth. Smoke from His nostrils. Fire from His mouth. Coals were kindled by it. So God is this wrath-filled God. You can hear the thunderstorms and the earthquakes and then the dragon coming to rescue David who's in distress. In verses 9 and 10, God's described as a raging thunderstorm. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under His feet. He rode the cherub, the angel, and flew and He sped upon the wings of the wind this this thunderstorm. He's pictured in verse 11 as cloaked in darkness. He doesn't want to reveal all His glory. He will not reveal all of His glory, but He comes in darkness. Maybe in the dark cloud, in the darkness of the thunderstorm. And then in verses 12-14, through He's the source of this powerful storm. It is from God that this hail, these hailstones come, that this thunder comes, verse 13, and then these arrows come down, verse 14, like lightning. That's the idea. And then in verse 15, God's described as the great Creator. Channels of water appeared and the foundations of the world were laid bare. And at your rebuke, the blast of the breath, the breath of your nostrils. So, David calls out to God in a time of desperation. God responds in a great and powerful way as David is on the brink of death. He's all bound up with the torrents coming in. And here comes God, powerful to save. And then in verses 16 through 19, we see what we would expect to see, and that is the powerful deliverance of our powerful Lord. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. So now the image changes. Before it was, he was kind of tied up, and then the torrents were coming in. Now it is, he's drowning. Right? He's changing the metaphor, but, the, but we get the idea. And that is that God is coming to rescue David. He's, he's like a lifeguard now, rescuing a drowning victim who has no help, no hope on his own. He needs someone to come outside of himself to come and save him. And that's what David needs. And so he calls to him and God comes. And in verses 17-19, through 19, God pulls David out from this violent and threatening situation and puts him in a position of safety and stability. Verse 17, He delivered me from my strong enemy. Verse 18, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. Here comes my powerful Lord to rescue me. Verse 19, He brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. David loves the Lord. 
And he doesn't love the Lord because he's just been pelted with all sorts of trouble and pain and 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 uh, and persecution and difficulty. That's not why he loves the Lord. He, he doesn't give up on God in those times, but but he loves the Lord specifically in this psalm because why? Because God has come to his rescue. God has come to his aid time and time again when he was on the brink of death. And that's why he displays, or that's why he expresses his love here. So first we have the beginning or opening praise to the Lord, our refuge. And the reason for it, verses 4-19, through 19, is that the Lord has worked for us. Here's the middle part of the praise, the middle expression of praise in verses 20-30. through 30. We could call this central, central to the psalm. Central praise for the Lord, our Central praise to the Lord, our refuge. Verses 20 through 30. Central praise to the Lord, our refuge. And before David praises the Lord for the victory, he wants to affirm his own personal integrity. And that's what he does here in these first five verses of this section. He says, The Lord has re- rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me or paid me back. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His ordinances were before me and I did not put away His statutes from me. I was also blameless with Him and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands and His eyes. Notice the two similar phrases in that section. Verse 20, he has rewarded me according to my righteousness. And then verse 24, He has recompensed me according to my righteousness. Now, this sounds very arrogant on the part of David. This sounds like David is earning something from God. But we need to keep a few things in mind. First, as I mentioned earlier, this is an adaptation of Second Samuel 22. And, and as I mentioned 2 Samuel 22 is coming at the end of David's life, at the end of David's reign as king, and following all of the exploits of his life, all of the sin that David committed. Right? We can think of all the big ones that David committed. Those are all recorded in 2 Samuel. And then 2 Samuel 22. He praises God just like he does here. And he says this very same thing that he says here in verses 20 and 24. The Lord has rewarded me for my righteousness. And so what David is not doing is he's not claiming perfection. Don't think David's like, well, I'm above everybody else, and so God has to reward me for my righteousness. He has to recompense me because of my cleanness. He's not saying he's perfect, and he doesn't believe that he in some way deserves God's reward on his own merits. So we need to keep that in mind. First, the context of when this psalm would have been written. Second Samuel. Second thing we need to keep in mind when we think of this as an arrogant claim by David to say, hey, the Lord has rewarded me for what I've done. The second thing is that we must understand that the phrase, my righteousness, has to include obedience to God and humility before God. So, my righteousness is not my righteousness in order to get a right standing before God, but rather my sanctification that includes me coming to you, God, in humility, recognizing my sin, Psalm 51. Right? 
and then confessing that sin and receiving forgiveness. So inside of that righteousness is in, inside of that phrase, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. We need to understand that there's a lot going on there. There is sin that undergirds that phrase, my righteousness, and there is also humility before God following that sin and forgiveness. So it's not like, look at all the good things I've done, now reward me. But God, I'm coming to You as a result of what You told me to do. And I expect that that You will see my blamelessness, as we'll talk about here in just a minute, You'll see my blamelessness and respond with rewards. You see, David's not boasting here or talking about what he deserves. He's simply describing the way that God deals with the righteous. It's consistent with what Jesus promises. This shouldn't trouble us, okay, that God rewards the righteous. Jesus promises us in Revelation 22:12, Behold, He says, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. And who are you going to give that reward to, Jesus? He says, I'm going to render that to every man according to what He has done. So if we think that in some way we have to be perfect in order for us to get a reward from Jesus, then we're, we're missing the point. You see, Jesus rewards us according to our integrity, according to our righteousness in a general way. That is, the righteousness that comes out of, a, of, of justification, of a true justification. That's what God's rewarding David for. That's what David recognizes here in these verses. Specifically, his righteousness is seen at the end of verse 20 as keeping the ways of the Lord according to the cleanness of my hands, he says. And then in verse 23, and staying away from evil. I was also blameless with him and I kept myself from iniquity. So, staying on the right path, staying off the wrong path. Right? He's staying on the path of righteousness, staying off of the path of sin. And again, we're talking generally speaking. In short, David was the kind of person that God intended him to be. This is not pride to say, God, reward those who are righteous. Reward me who is righteous. There's no pride in that. Simply recognizing that that, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Look down to verse 27. We'll skip down here before we actually get to it in the text. But verse 27 says, For you, God, save an afflicted people, but haughty, proud eyes you hate. So you save the afflicted or the humble, but the proud you hate. And this is consistent with what God says in James, that He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. See, pride is to ignore God's way and to do it my own way. And that's not the type of person that God rewards. That's what pride is, is to ignore God, I know you said it this way. I know you said to come to me to, to you with, with my sin. I know you said to obey you, but I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. That's proud. That's pride. And that's what God hates. That's what God abases. Humility, on the other hand, is abandoning my own way, what I would like to do in order to be pleasing to God. I'm going to abandon that for the sake of what God wants in thought and word and action. And those who do that are recipients of God's grace. David recognized that. He says, I'm a man of personal integrity. And I recognize that, the, that, that God rewards those kinds of people. But notice, he also doesn't take the glory for himself. 
in verses 25 through 30, now the, 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 the ultimate glory is given to God. He says, yes, I am righteous, so reward me, God. According to your promise and your loving kindness, reward me. But, but here's the thing. All the glory goes to you, verses 25 through 30. He goes on. With the kind, verse 25, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you show yourself astute. For you have an afflicted, you save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. For you light my lamp. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. For by you I can run upon a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. David here is passing on the glory, the praise, to the one to whom it belongs. He's passing it on to God. And what he's saying here in verses 25 through 26 by saying, with the kind you show yourself kind, the blameless, blameless, pure, pure, crooked, 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 astute, basically, is that whatever we think of God, of God, that's how we treat God. So if we think of God as kind, we treat Him as kind and He responds in kind. When we, if we think of God as blameless, then we respond in, in blamelessness, righteousness, okay, integrity. If we think of God as pure, and, and God responds in that way. That's the way God shows Himself to us. But notice the last one in verse 26. And the crooked you show, to the crooked you show yourself astute. If a person thinks of God as wicked and perverse, how are they going to act? They're going to be perverse themselves and God is going to respond with you know if we said crookedness it wouldn't work you know God how could God be crooked or you know if we think of it as and with the wicked you show yourself wicked that's not the idea we need to we need to um, have a different word there so that's why it's astute or twisted and the point is is that with the perverse God is perverse with them in the sense that he pours their wickedness back out on them so we treat God by coming to Him with kindness and purity and blamelessness. God treats us in kind. So if we treat Him as wicked, we see Him as wicked, then don't be surprised when that wickedness is poured back on us. Verse 27, God loves to work on behalf of those who trust Him. Verse 28, He brings security to dark trials like a light. He illumines me with a lamp. In verse 29, he brings strength to seemingly insurmountable obstacles. You know, he comes on this situation where he's in battle and it's as if he can scale a wall. No trouble. Something that normally would stop him, God allows him to overcome it. I think this is metaphorically speaking again. could be literal, but most likely it's metaphorical. And then in verse 30, he praises God who is this blameless deliverer and protector and one in whom we can trust. As for God, His way is perfect or blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. So, David begins with praise to God, opening praise, verses 1-3, through three, and then he tells why. Because the Lord has worked for David. He has come in, in great power and rescued David at, at the time of greatest desperation. And so, Verses 20 to 30, David praises God again, the central praise for the Lord. And here in verses 31 through 45, he tells why he's praising God again. 
Here's a, here's a second reason why he praises God. And it is that the Lord has worked through us. Not only has the Lord worked for us, He's come to our aid in time of trouble, but here, uh, particularly in the way that David is able to administer the kingdom as king, he sees that it's God that works through him. And so in verses 31 to 36, David recognized that the strength that he has to do what he needs to do comes from God. God grants the strength. Look at verse 31. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless? He makes my feet like hind's feet and sets me upon my high places. He trains my hands for battles so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. So there are two primary uh, persons, I guess you could say, pronoun persons that are described there. I and me, David's talking about himself, but then God, you. And what he's saying is, after he does the initial verses 30 and 31 and 32, you know, we have this great God. Then he says, what has God done for me? He or you make my feet like hind's feet. Verse 34, you train my hands for battle. Verse 35, you have given me the shield of salvation and so on. So what he's saying here is that, God, I've been able to do all these things, but You are the one who grant me strength. First, God makes him strong and blameless. Verses 31 and 32. God makes David strong and blameless. Who is God but the Lord? Implied answer? No one. There's no God but the Lord. There's no God like our God. He is a rock. focus in verses 4-19 through 19 is on God winning the battle. Here, the focus is on David winning the battle through the strength that God supplies. So, there are some times in our lives where there is nothing, absolutely nothing we can do or even take credit for after it's done. Where we have to say, that was all you. God delivers in those powerful ways many times. Where Things are without, beyond our reach, outside of our control. And God comes to our aid in a powerful way and we look back and say, what an amazing God, what a powerful God. Have you seen that happen in your life? David saw that. But here in verses 31 through 45, he's saying, but, but these are situations where I could, if I wanted to, I could explain them away by saying, I did it. Because I had a part in it. We could call this a complicity with God's strength or a complicity with God's Spirit. We are working with God to accomplish good. Or a better way to put it is God is working through us to accomplish good, right? And that's what David sees here. And yet, even though he could, if he wanted to, try to take the credit for it, he's saying, no, God is the one who gives me the strength. God's the one who, who gives me the power See, even David's own blamelessness cannot be contributed to, uh, attributed to himself alone. He recognizes that it's from the Lord. So, in verse 25, when he says, God, with the blameless you, you show yourself blameless, he's saying that I am blameless. And yet, in verse 30, he's saying, 
the reason I can be blameless is because, God, You are blameless first. You are the perfect one. You're the one who causes me to be a man of integrity. Not self-generated. God, You make me strong. You make me blameless. In verse 33, we see that God makes him swift in battle. God causes, causes David to be quick in battle and able to move on a probably a difficult terrain without falling like a deer on a rocky crag or a mountain goat on the sides of these hills. You ever seen those videos where they're just kind of standing on the side and you're like, how in the world do they get up there? I mean, the incline on these are just seemingly impossible and yet somehow with their little hooves, they're able to be up way high in the mountains. David's saying, you, God, are able to do that for me on this uneven ground. You, you make it stable for me. You allowed me to go swiftly across these where my enemies cannot. In verse 34, God prepares me God prepares me for difficult challenges. He has this bow of bronze. Just picture that in your mind. Our bows are not usually made of bronze or some kind of a metal because what's that going to do to the bow? It's going to make it heavier and harder to bend, right? And yet he's saying, you have given me the strength to take this bow of bronze that normally we would expect not to be able to use, and yet you give me the extra strength that's necessary. And in the end, God is mighty to save and worthy of praise in verses 35 and 36. God is mighty to save. Notice how he shifts to speak to God here. He had been saying, He had given me hind's feet. He had given me the strength to bend the bow. Now he turns to God. It's as if he's kind of talking about it to other people. And then he just stops and says, But you, God, you are my strength. You are my salvation. praises God and reflects on God's goodness. So God is the one who grants the strength and in the end, verses 37 through 45, God is the one who gets the glory for the victory. God gets the glory for the victory. If we were to look at these verses in isolation, verses 37 to 45, we might think that David is proud again. and that the, but, but the psalm is clear that David knows that God is behind it all. Look at verse 37. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. They cried for help, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but He did not answer them. Then I beat them fine as the dust before the wind. I emptied them out as the mire of the streets. You have delivered me from the contentions of the people. You have placed me as a head of the nations. A people whom I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away and come trembling out of their fortresses. There's a couple indications in there that David sees that God is, is the one who, who brings about the deliverance. But for the most part, those verses are, I have done this and I have done this and I... But again, we need to think about it in a larger context. David recognizes that this is all God's doing and he's the one who gets the victory. David was being hunted earlier. He was the one that was tied up, effectively, metaphorically, and the torrents were coming over him. But now David turns into the hunter. Right? He used to be the hunted. Now he's the hunter on his enemies. It's like a bear. right? Somebody goes out bear hunting and... 
the guy, the hunter, uses up his last arrow or something. Now what happens? The hunter becomes the hunted. And that's what David's saying happened to him. He once was the one with his back up against the wall and now he's on the run with his enemies and he turns them into dust, he says. And for them, they have no one to turn to. Verse 41, right? They have no God that can deliver them. There's no God like David's God. No one can compete with David's God. And so, they're on their own. And David destroys his enemy. And in verse 43, notice who gets the credit. You have delivered me from the contentions of the people. So, just when he finishes saying, I beat them, verse 42. I emptied them out of the mire of the streets. I brought them to dust. Then he finishes by saying, verse 43, but, but you get the glory, God. That's you who granted strength. And you are the one who brought about the victory. God had turned the table on David's enemies. In verses 44 and 45, God had turned the table. David was the one who was stuck in the miry clay David was the one who was overwhelmed. David was tied down, drowning on the brink of death, and now his enemies are. And the only thing that David can do is acknowledge that it's all of God. And that's how he concludes the psalm. He begins with, praise to God. I love you, Lord. You are my rock, my strength, and you are worthy to be praised because you have worked for me. You've come to my rescue. Then he praises God again in the middle of the psalm. And then, the, the next part of the psalm is, you have worked through me. You've accomplished great things through me. And I have to attribute those works to you. And as a result, God, here, verses 46 to 50, you get all the glory. The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. Verse 48, He delivers me from my enemies. Surely You lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to You among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to Your name. He gives great deliverance to His King and shows loving kindness to His anointed, to David and His descendants forever. Now, we've been talking a lot about David. We might get an idea that this is solely about David and about his accomplishments. But what we need to recognize is that David keeps it generic enough for us to put ourselves in it for the most part and see how God has rescued us in ways that can only be attributed to God and in ways that can be contributed to God working through us. He, he He leaves it generic enough for that. And also we need to recognize that David here at the beginning... And the middle praises God for His deliverance. And at the end, he does the same thing. He says, God, You have delivered and protected me. And then, in verse 49, he calls on us to praise God with him. Now, he does it in a a little bit of a different way. Verse 49, he says, Therefore, I will give thanks to You, God, among the nations. I will sing Your praise. In other words, I'm going to say this. Not just... This is not a private prayer to you, God. This is not a private praise session. There's nothing wrong with those. We should praise God in private, shouldn't we? But David's saying, here, this is something that, that, that's going to be heard by all the nations. All the nations need to join with me in hearing this praise for God. And so, what I would suggest to you is that 
that David wants us to join in. And the reason for that is because God is great. Verse 50, He gives great deliverance to His King and shows loving kindness to His anointed. So, well, that, how does that help us? Right? We're not God's King. We're not God's anointed. But notice the last phrase, to David and to his descendants forever. That is, that all those who are in David, we could say through Christ, are recipients of God's grace and deliverance and in the same way should, notice, forever be praising God for His deliverance and His protection. In other words, this praise and deliverance was not a a prayer closet type of praise only. Maybe that's how it started out. But He wanted the nations to hear and He wanted all of His descendants forever to hear how great God is. And so, this praise is not meant to end with David. This praise is meant to go on with us. So, we ought to praise God for His deliverance and protection. That's what this psalm is about. Praise God for His deliverance and protection. Four points of application here as we close. Number one, there's no better place to be than under the grace of God or under the care of God. There's no better place to be than under the care of God. Once God chooses that He wants us on our side, once God chooses to be on our side, there's no better place to be. Even when we are tied up with the cords of trouble and the torrents are coming in and we're having trouble breathing, there's still no better place to be than under the care of God. Is that true? Because when God chooses to be on our side, there is nothing that can stand against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's no better place to be than under the care of God. Number two, God delights in His children. Notice why David was rescued in verse 19. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because... Listen to this, Christian. He rescued me because He delighted in me. Consider again what we saw in verses 20 and 24. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. Why, God? Why would You reward the righteous? God would say, because I delight in You. I take joy in You. And I mentioned that this was not self-centered on the part of David, nor would it be self-centered on the part of us for us to pray for God to reward us for our righteousness. But let's consider this from God's perspective. How is it that God can delight and reward imperfect followers? How can God delight in someone who's far from perfect when, when God is perfectly holy? Turn back to Psalm number 1. Psalm number 1. Maybe more specifically, why would God ever delight in me? Psalm 1 tells us the type of people that God delights in. The kind of people that God delights in. Verse 1. How blessed is the man. How blessed by God is the man who does not walk in the counsel 
of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, this man's delight, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So, talking about God's blessing on those who delight in Him. In other words, God delights in those who delight in Him. Verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He knows it in the sense that He knows and He acts according to what He knows. That's the idea of knowing here. Why would God ever delight in me? The answer, because we delight in Him. God delights in those who delight in Him. God blesses, to use the word of Psalm 1, God blesses those who delight in Him. There's nothing inconsistent with our justification. We still are delighted in because of our standing in God, but we are made to be His children. And and part of that transformation, that creation, that new creation, is that we now become like His Son. And that the old things have been passed away and, and the new things have come. And that, that we are now putting away sin and, and putting on righteousness, which we didn't do before. And so God looks down and, and although imperfect, He sees our delighting in Him. He sees our righteousness and delights in that. Why did, why did God come to the rescue of David who was far from perfect? Because He delighted in Him. Verse 19. Number three, trust in God. I think we could just say this just about every every time we look at the Scriptures. Here's a good application. Trust in God, right? But don't get tired of, of thinking about that because we live in a world that is opposed to God and that many times causes us to be paralyzed in fear because of what's all around us. I mean, just picture the metaphor that David, again, is in where he's just wrapped up and, and, and he has nowhere to go. No help in sight. And so, when you you are at your lowest point, when you are in your darkest hour, it's not, there, there's not a better time to trust in God. God delivers those who are faithful. Now, He, he may do it through death. Right? It, there were many in Hebrews 11 who died without receiving the promise. So, that, so they died. They were they were beaten, they were sawn in two, right? They were some were killed by the sword. But but deliverance may come through death. But but the point is that deliverance will come. God won't forget you. He will respond. And in this case, David says, God, I could have died. And yet you spared me. Number four. So trust in God. Number four. Praise God for his deliverance and protection. This I think is the main point of chapter uh, of Psalm number eighteen. We ought to praise God for His deliverance and protection. Have you seen God deliver you in the past? Do you know of specific ways in which God has delivered you and protected you in times of trouble? O oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. We are indebted to God for His unmatched grace. And so there is a sense in which we owe Him our praise. When we reflect on all that He's done for us, His great deliverance and His mighty power coming down to save us when we were helpless, we owe Him our praise. And so let me encourage you to think of some general 
and specific things that have happened to you for which God should be praised. Think of some general and specific things for which God can be praised. Has God pulled you out of the miry clay and set your feet on the solid rock? Has God responded to you in a time of terrifying uncertainty? Has God stayed close by your side so that you would never walk alone? Then with David, praise God. And with this congregation who's singing this psalm, praise God. And with this congregation with whom we worship, praise God. Any questions or comments?